Open your Bibles this morning to the book of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I want to speak to you this morning on the Lamb of God. And I believe that God will open your eyes in a new and wonderful way to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. In John chapter 1, we have the clearest explanation of the deity of Christ, that He is not only the Son of Man, the Son of David, but He's the Son of God. Jesus is not only perfect humanity, but He's perfect deity. He was God manifest in the flesh. That's the Christian confession. So look in verse 1 of John 1. In the beginning, that's as far as back as you can go, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Underline that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, but the Word was God. In the beginning, He was in the beginning with God. Now, jump over to verse 14. This Word that was with God, and this capital W Word that was God, listen to what it says. So clear in verse 14. And the Word, that was God, became flesh and lived among us. There in that smelly stable in Bethlehem, God, through the Virgin Mary, became flesh and lived among us. And said, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Well, look on over a little bit in John chapter 1, and look at verse, uh, uh, thir- verse 26. I want you to look at verse 26. Now, for 30 years, Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus of Nazareth, lived in relative obscurity in a carpenter's shop in Nazareth. He did make one appearance at 12 in the temple and astounded everyone. But for 30 years, Jesus lived among his neighbors and his friends. He built with his hands and worked among men. But then at 30, Jesus laid down his hammer for the last time. He laid down his chisel. And notice what happens beginning in verse 26. They went to John the Baptist and said, what are you doing baptizing people? And in verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. But one stands among you whom you do not know. He was talking about Jesus. It is he who coming after me, Jesus, who is preferred before me. I'm not worthy to unloose his sandal strap. Now, these things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Okay, John said, now listen, let me tell you why I'm baptizing, but there's one coming after me who is far greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to loose his sandals. And then it says in verse 29, now, here, here is the first emergence of the Lamb of God. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an amazing statement. He didn't say Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth. No, he said, here is the Lamb of God. And by the way, all of them that heard him knew what he was talking about. For year after year, year after year, they'd uh, practice the Passover. And year after year, they would sacrifice a lamb, remembering when through the shedding of the blood of the lamb, God brought them out of Egypt and to the promised land. Oh, everybody knew what it was to be the lamb of God. But now John says he's here. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he, he of whom I said, after me becomes the man who was preferred before me. And for he was before me. And then John goes on and he keeps talking. And he says in verse 36, he says it again. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, to a Gentile, that would mean absolutely nothing. But to a Jew, that would mean everything. And so you've got to go back and realize that the only person who has ever had the title of the Lamb of God is Jesus Christ. To him alone belongs a title, the Lamb of God. Of God. Now you need to understand that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, existed in heaven long before he ever came to earth. Now the Hebrew writer says in chapter 1 that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. We had never seen God, but Jesus came as a visible manifestation of God. Now, we need to understand that Jesus in heaven from eternity, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus stepped out of eternity into time when he was born in the manger in Bethlehem. Now you've got to understand what a fitting place for the Lamb of God to be born. There was no room in the inn, so the, the Lamb of God was born in a stable among the other lambs and the goats and the sheep. And what a fitting picture of God humbling himself and becoming as a man, but even more than that, as becoming the Lamb of God. Now understand this. Jesus was the Lamb of God in heaven before he ever became the Lamb of God on earth. Because Hebrews, thir Revelation thirteen eight says, he was the lamb, now get this, slain before the foundation of the world. Now, no, wait a minute. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. The only person who has the title of the lamb of God. Jesus was the lamb in heaven from eternity, and he was the lamb in heaven slain before the foundation of the world. You say, well, Brother Fred, what does that mean? Listen to what it means. When God created man, you and, you and me, in his image, he gave us a free will. God did not create a bunch of robots who had to do what he said for us to do. He created us in his image, and a part of that image is that we had the freedom to choose 
To love God or not to love God? To obey God or not to obey God? Now, God knew because he's omniscient. He knows all things. If there was anything he didn't know, he wouldn't be God. And God looked at it from eternity, the eternal point of view, and he saw the time when man would choose to disobey him. When woman would choose to disobey him. That man and woman would commit sin. And that their sin would separate them from God. So before man was ever created, before man ever existed on this earth, God knew that there was going to be, quote, the fall of man. So God had a plan of redemption. A plan of redemption. You see, before there's ever a need, God has the supply. Before there was ever a fish, there was water. Before there was ever a human being to breathe air and oxygen, there was oxygen. Before, before there's ever a need, God always has the supply. So God looked and he saw his creation that he loved so deeply, disobeying him, committing sin. It's called the fall of man. So in eternity, this was God's plan, that God would invade this world in his son, Jesus Christ. And that he would come, not as a king, he would come as a lamb that would take away the sin of the world. So the plan was already in heaven, but in time, Jesus came, and he came on earth as the lamb of God. Now, let me tell you something. There are six unbelievable pictures in the Old Testament that God gave to the people to remind them that the only way their sins were ever going to be forgiven, the only way they were ever going to be restored to God, was for God to provide a sacrifice for their sin. And that sacrifice would be Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now let's go back to the beginning, and I'm going to show you six pictures right all the way through up until today of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, the first place we go is to the Garden of Eden. And the first thing we see is our need for the Lamb of God. Our need for the Lamb of God. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, it said, And God made a coat of skins for the man and woman he created them. Now, what was going on here? Adam and Eve, created in the image of God, absolutely perfect. A perfect man, a perfect woman living in a perfect world. There would never be any disease, never be any death, never be any separation. I mean, God placed a perfect man and woman in a perfect world. But they had a free will. And Satan tempted Eve and Adam, and they made a choice. They made a choice to disobey God. They disobey, they, sin is disobeying God. And when they disobeyed God, immediately their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. Before that time, you say, well, why didn't they know they were naked before, Brother Fred? They were covered with the glory of God. They were enshrouded with the glory of God. But the moment they sinned, their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. They were guilty and ashamed. So you know what they did? They said, we've got to do something to be right with God. We've got to do something. So they had to cover themselves, and they made a covering of fig leaves. And they made a garment of fig leaves, and they hid from the presence of God. But then God came in the cool of the day in the garden and said, Adam, where are you? And said, we're here, 
uh, hiding behind the trees. He said, uh, we knew we were naked. God said, how did you know that? And then God asked him, did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good? Did you do what I told you not? Did you disobey me? Did you commit sin? Adam and Eve said, yeah, we did. And see, now sin had entered into their life. And they now had not eternal life, but they had temporary life. And sin now had changed everything. And they tried to cover their shame and guilt with fig leaves. But that, God said, that won't do it. He said, the wages of sin is death. So you know what God did? Now stay with me. This is the first picture of the Lamb of God. The Bible says that God took two innocent animals, and we believe they were lambs. And God slew those two lambs, and he made a coat of skins for Adam, and he made a coat of skins for Eve. And he clothed them with that. A picture of God providing a sacrifice for their sins so their sins could be covered and they could be forgiven. Now, the first picture of the Lamb of God is when after Adam and Eve sinned, God himself had to slay two innocent lambs to provide a covering for his creation that had sinned against God. And here we see a picture of a sacrifice of the Lamb so the people could be forgiven. Then you move on to the second I would say epoch in this picture, and that was Cain and Abel. Cain was the older son of Adam and Eve. Abel was a younger son. Now, God taught Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, listen, the only way sins can be forgiven, the only way sins can be covered until Jesus comes is for there to be the sacrifice, a, a, a sacrifice of an animal, the blood of that animal brought to the uh, altar and, and, and as a covering for their sins. Abel was taught, now look, we've all sinned. Now you've got to provide a sacrifice for your sins and offer it to God. Cain was taught the same thing. He said, now listen, you've got to, you've all, we've sinned. You've got to offer, offer a sacrifice for your sins to God. The time came. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He took one of the choice lambs out of his flock. Offered it. Cut its throat and let the blood come into a basin. And he went to God with the sacrifice of a lamb, saying, God, this is my offering for my sin. And God accepted it. But Cain said, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, he'd been taught to do that. Adam and Eve had taught him to. He said, no, I'm a farmer. I'll just bring the best grain I've got and the best crop I've got, and I will offer that to God. And so Cain comes with the fruit of the ground. And offers it as a sacrifice to God. And God said, Cain, that won't cover your sin. That won't take care of your sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So, Cain, all you've got to do is go back and you offer, bring the sacrifice of a lamb and offer its blood here. And I'll accept your sacrifice. But instead of doing that, Cain got angry. He got angry at his brother and killed him. You know what it says in Hebrews? By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice to God, through which he was counted righteous, and he being dead still speaks. Listen, you see, in Cain and Abel, God was saying you, you, there's no substitute for the cross. In, in Adam and Eve with the skins, God says there's the need for the cross. 
But then in Cain and Abel, he said, now there's no substitute for, 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 for a lamb. There's no substitute for the sacrifice. And so we see the second picture now that the lamb of God had to be offered for the sins of the world. But then we move to another third picture. And this is one of the most vivid. First, it was our need for the lamb. And there could be no substitute for the lamb. But then there's a third picture. And this is the one most vivid in all, where the son is the lamb. Now, a thousand years had passed. A thousand years since Cain and Abel had offered their sacrifice. Abel accepted to God. A thousand years had passed, and God had revealed himself to Abraham. And Abraham had a son of promise named Isaac. And Abraham was a man of faith. And one day God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to take him on Mount Moriah. And now listen to this. I want you to offer him as a burnt offering, a sacrifice. Well, Abraham had all night to think about it. He knew that Isaac was the son of promise, and he knew that if if he did offer him up, God would raise him from the dead. You see, Abraham knew that God was not in the business of killing children, and he knew that Isaac was the son of promise. And so in his heart, he knew that whatever God told him to do, God would raise Isaac. And so they are on the way to the mountain, and they get there, and they say to the servants, uh, uh, and, and when they were on the way, here was Abraham and Isaac and the servants, and Abraham had the wood and had the fire, and Isaac was carrying the wood and the fire for, to offer the burnt offering. And so they, Abraham says to the servants, you stay here and we're going to go up on the mountain and worship God. And then on the way, Isaac asked a big question. He said, Abraham, he said, Daddy, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said this, listen. Now, we're going all the way back, and we're looking at the... He said, God himself will provide a lamb for the offering. He said, oh, Isaac, God himself will provide a lamb. And they got up on the mountain, and Abraham bound Isaac and placed him on the altar and was going to offer him up to God, knowing that God would raise him from the dead. And about that time, he said... The angel said, hold your hand, Abraham. I know you fear God. And they looked over in the thicket, and there was a ram caught by his horns in the thicket. And there was the sacrifice. God had provided a lamb. Now look. Now we're going back to the beginning. And there's the coat of skins for Abraham, for Adam and Eve. God had provided a lamb. And then we go to Cain and Abel, and we see the sacrifice of Abel as a lamb, and God had provided a lamb. And then we go over to Isaac the son, and there God provided a lamb. And Jehovah Jireh is the name God will provide. And the name of that mountain is still called Jehovah Jireh. God himself will provide a lamb. And then we move on. And then we get to the... This was... a. Abraham and Isaac were a thousand years later. Then 400 years after Abraham and Isaac, you know the story. Israel went down into Egypt. And there was a king that knew Israel and loved them and blessed them. But then there came a king on the throne who did not know uh, uh, Joseph and did not know them. and And the Israelites became slaves, slaves for 400 years in Egypt. 
Then one day God spoke to Moses over in the desert and he said, Moses, I want you to go down and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, Mo- and Moses said, well, who am I going to tell Pharaoh uh, uh, sent me? He's tell him, he said, you tell him I am sent you. you. He'll know who I am. I am the one true living God. You tell him I am sent you. And Abraham went over there, I mean, and Moses went over there, and he said to Pharaoh, God said, let his people go. He said, I'm not going to let them go. So you know the story. There were ten plagues, ten plagues. And, 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 and every time, Pharaoh would say, I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let them go. Then he would change his mind. I'm going to let them go. But then finally God said, okay, let me tell you what's going to happen. He said, at midnight, the death angel is going to pass over Egypt. He said, now I won't tell you whatever I want every one of you Israelites to do. He said, when the death angel comes over, the firstborn of every family is going to be slain. The firstborn. He said, I want you to take a lamb. A lamb for every household. Now listen, we, we're going back to had to be a lamb in the Garden of Eden. Abraham, I, uh, Abel had to offer a lamb. And then Isaac was, said, God will provide himself a lamb. And now in Egypt, God's saying, I'll tell you what you're going to do now. I'm fixing to deliver you from the bondage of Egypt. But every household's got to get a lamb. And at a certain time, I want all of you to take that lamb and slay it and put his blood in a basin. And I want you to put the blood over the doorpost of your house. And you know, it would go here and here and here. And it was a picture of the cross. And God says, the death angel is going to come through. And every house where he sees the blood of the lamb, what every house he sees the blood of the lamb, I'm going to pass over and I'm going to spare the oldest child, the firstborn. But where I don't see the blood of the lamb, the firstborn will die. And at midnight, the death angel came through. And you could hear the cry and the wail of the Egyptians all over the land as the firstborn was slain. But where the angel saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of those Israelites, he spared them. And then Pharaoh said, get out of here. Let them go. And so they... They didn't even uh, take any time at all. They took all the things and the possessions that God had told them together, and they left Egypt and started heading for the Red Sea. Listen, down through history, do you know that Israel, and even to the day, they still celebrate the Passover? Even today, they have the Passover meal. Even today, they're celebrating the sacrifice of the lamb that spared the lives of their oldest child and brought them out of bondage. Listen to me. What is this about the lamb of God? Why why do we sing about it? And why do we worship the lamb of God? Because it's God's plan for the redemption of his people. Back in the garden of Eden, he provided a lamb. Cain, Abel brought a lamb. Isaac was going to be the lamb. And then The Passover lamb, I'm telling you, it was ingrained in the hearts of those people that one day the lamb of God would come and take away their sins. But three three months after they got out of Egypt, Moses went up on the mountain. God gave him the Ten Commandments. And he came down. But when he was up there, God gave him A new picture of the Lamb of God. Up on the mountain, this is what God said to Abraham. Now as a part of the burnt offering, 
the offering of a lamb, I want you to take two, two kids, two kid goats, and I want you to do this at the time. They do it once a year. At the time of this sacrifice, you're going to take the two goats and said, or lambs, and you're going to cast lots. Now, the one that the lot falls on, you're going to offer him as a sacrifice. And you're going to take his blood into the Holy of Holies. And you're going to sprinkle the altar with the mercy seat. The altar and the mercy seat for the sins of the people. But then the priest was going to come out and there was the other lamb that was left alive. It was called the scapegoat. Now the one lamb the lot fell on was offered as a sacrifice and the blood was sprinkled on the altar. But now here was the live lamb. And after the other lamb had been sacrificed, he said, I want you to come out. And the priest would come out and get this. Some of the blood of the first lamb would still be on his hands. And he would go over to the live lamb. And he would place his hands on his head. And saying, I'm transferring all the sins of Israel. All of your sins, I'm placing it on the head of this lamb. And he would press down and put his, pl- placing symbolically the sins of all of the people on the head of that lamb. And then a fit man, they said, would lead that lamb out into the wilderness. And that lamb, bearing the sins of the people, would go out into the wilderness, never to be seen again, and would die. Here's the picture. Jesus Christ, not only the Lamb of God, would make the sacrifice for our sins by the shedding of blood, but he would take our sins upon himself, and he would take them to the depths and as far away from us as the east is from the west. Jesus not only made the sacrifice for our sins, but he would carry our sins away as the scapegoat would carry our sins away. I guarantee you, The Israelites never got over that picture that the Lamb of God that was going to come was going to once and for all pay the price for their sin, but the Lamb of God was going to take their sins away and God would never remember them anymore. But then there's one other picture. There was the picture of the Lamb in the Garden of Eden. There's a picture of the Lamb in Abel's sacrifice. The Garden of Eden showed our need for the Lamb. Abel's sacrifice showed there was no substitute for the lamb. And in Isaac, we saw the son as the lamb. And then in the Passover, we saw the Passover lamb of them coming out of Egypt. And then there was the sin-bearing lamb, the scapegoat that would carry our sins away. But then in Isaiah 53, here's the last vivid picture of the lamb. And this, it is the suffering of the lamb. Isn't it interesting that 600 years before the lamb of God was born in a stable in Bethlehem, 600 years before he was born, listen to what Isaiah said about the lamb. Listen to what he said. He is despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Now listen to the lamb. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and afflicted, smitten by God and afflicted. Now now listen 
to the Lamb. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, he did not open his mouth. Now listen. All the way from the Garden of Eden, thousand years later, Abraham and Isaac. And then 400 years later, the Passover lamb. And then three months later, the lamb that was the scapegoat that would bear our sins off into the wilderness. All pictures of Jesus. Then Isaiah I said, Isaiah said, let me show you how he's going to suffer the Lamb of God. He's going to be wounded for our transgressions. He's going to be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And by his stripes you are healed. But the Bible says now, we go to the New Testament. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, made under the law, that he might redeem those that were under the law. And so in John we see the appearance of the Lamb of God out of heaven into history. And when John the Baptist, who all of uh, the Jews had come out to hear, said, Listen, look, there, behold, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They could go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and their minds would race all the way to the Passover. And they say, This is the Lamb of God. And Jesus lived for three years as the Lamb of God. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted. Everybody should have loved him. All he did was heal the sick and raise the dead. All he did was love people and he loved sinners and he reached out to them. He said, I didn't come to seek and to save. He said, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. He went first to the lost sheep of Israel. And then, he, uh, uh, and then he turned to the lost sheep of the Gentiles. And Jesus came. But listen to me. He came as the Lamb of God. And he knew. He knew that one day as the Lamb of God, he would be taken and nailed to a cruel Roman cross. And there, as the Lamb of God, He would make the sacrifice for our sin. And there, as the scapegoat, He would carry our sins away into the depths of the sea. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I want you to know Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, went to the cross, died in your place and in my place. There is no substitute for the Lamb. You see, you know what Cain's problem was? By my own efforts, by my own fruit of the ground, I can be right with God. Listen to me. Let me tell you something. Here's the message of the Lamb of God. There's nothing you could ever do to be right with God. There's nothing you could ever do to earn your redemption. There's nothing you could ever do to pay the price for your sin. You don't have to. God already has done it when Jesus came as the Lamb of God and took your sins on himself and died in your place. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
So on the cross, the Bible says, now listen at this, he made him to be sin for us. God made his son to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so they put him in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, Jesus Christ, hallelujah, rose from the dead. The grave could not hold him. Death had no claim on him. He had never sinned. He was a spotless lamb of God. And God honored his sacrifice. He accepted his sacrifice. And God declared him to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And now let me tell you where Jesus is. He is at the right hand of the father in heaven. And let me tell you what's going on in heaven. They're worshiping him and adoring him. As the Lamb of God. Oh, he's King of kings and he's Lord of lords. But that's not what they're singing about. I mean, he's the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first to the last. But that's not the focus of heaven. The focus of heaven is there he is, the Lamb of God. And I'm here because of the Lamb of God. Who took away the sins of the world. I love this passage. I, I want to show you how its history is going to end. You say, where is this? What is this world coming to? That's not a good question. It's not what is this world coming to. It's who's coming to this world. Who's coming to this world? I'll tell you who's coming. Jesus is coming. Oh, yeah, he's coming. And every eye shall see him. But right now, over in Revelation... We have an amazing, amazing picture. Now, Revelation is God's unfolding plan for the rest of the ages. And in chapter 5, you see a very um, a, a vivid picture. Now, stay with me. This will help you understand how Jesus is going to bring it all to a close as the Lamb of God. This is Revelation 5, 2. I saw a strong angel proclaiming. Who is open, able to open the scroll? Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And the seals and the scroll was God's plan for the rest of the ages. It was God's judgment on the earth and God's plan for the rest of the earth. Now, who's going to open the scroll and open the seals? Now, listen to what it says. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. John said, I wept. God's plan for history is not going to be fulfilled because there's nobody that can open the scroll and the seals. Behold, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, John. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed, his name is Jesus, to open the scroll and to, and to open its seven seals. And then John saw it. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. Oh, here's the lamb that was portrayed in Genesis in the, in, in the garden. It was the lamb that was portrayed in, 
Abel's sacrifice. It was the lamb and portrayed in Isaac when God provided the lamb. It was, it was the lamb of the Passover. It was the scapegoat, the lamb that bare our sins into the depths of the sea. And it's a suffering lamb. But now he's the victorious lamb. And he's in the throne. And, they, and they're saying, there's one that is worthy to open the scrolls. There's one that is worthy to unleash the seals. And he said, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits sent into the earth well man when they started focusing on the lamb and now that God's purpose in this earth was going to be accomplished because of the lamb they sang a new song that's what we did today that's what our choir did they sang a new song you are worthy to take the scroll you're worthy to open the seals lamb of God for you were slain You died. You redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tongue, tribe, and nation. And you made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth. All of heaven is focused on the Lamb of God. And they're worshiping him and adoring him. Then it goes on down in verse 12 saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. This is in heaven. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor. And glory and blessing. And every creature in heaven and on earth. And under the earth. That are in the sea. And all that are in them saying. This is what they were saying. Blessing, honor, and glory. To him who sits upon the throne. The Father. And to the Lamb. Forever. And ever. Folks. John the Baptist said. Behold. The Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. I'll be in heaven because of the Lamb of God. If you're saved, the Bible says your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And we'll all be in heaven, not because of our good works, not because of our self-righteousness. We'll all be there because from eternity there was a Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And He came into time And he died on the cross for you and for me. And no wonder we sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain.